You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Welcome to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast, brought to you by Exodus Trail Cameras, the number one podcast for bow hunting product information and hunting stories from across the nation. And now, here's your nine-fingered host, Dan Johnson. Happy Mother Effin' Friday, everybody. Hopefully, everybody had a great week, and hopefully, you are rolling into one hell of a weekend. Um, you know, there is a chance I might get out and uh, do a little ground pounding, looking for some shed antlers here in uh, the next couple of days, maybe Saturday. I think I mentioned uh, in the last podcast my antlers are done, or my uh, my mount for my 2016 buck are done, and uh, they are in the shop or to be picked up. So uh, I am uh, going to go pick up my mount this week and then I'm going to go knock on a couple doors while I'm down in that area uh, to you know maybe get turkey hunting or shed hunting permission and that way I have my foot in the door for bow hunting if uh, if there's any room on some of these properties but uh, today we have a really cool podcast about a guy that moved out of his home state from Wisconsin to Minnesota, where the only access that he had for hunting ground was public land. And uh, it seems kind of fitting with uh, the support that the outdoor community, not just not just hunters, but backpackers and hikers and fishermen, uh, the support and the outreach and the outcry uh, to stop that HR 621 bill that proposed the selling of public lands. The the representative or the congressman that uh, was going to introduce that uh, that bill uh, actually pulled it because he heard so much of a response from the outdoor community, and that's awesome. So it's kind of fitting that today uh, Justin Pez, uh, that's the short version of his name, uh, from Minnesota talks about how he has learned how to hunt public ground in Minnesota around a a heavy populated area. So uh, that's what today's podcast is about. Hopefully you guys enjoy it. Uh, Before we get into today's podcast, I just want to tell you about Deer Lab and kind of get you, uh, I guess, a user success story that, uh, that John Livingston, one of the owners, shares with us. We get testimonies all the time coming in, um, but one that stands out from all the rest is the Dan Kaufman buck, which was shot uh, last year. It's a free-range buck. Uh, Dan was in Ohio. He had a farm in Ohio, and uh, the buck that he shot was a had a Pope and Young net score of 287 and 5 eighths of an inch. It was a monster of a buck. And um, I was talking to Dan about, okay, tell me, please, how did you use Deer Lab? And he said that he just used Deer Lab for this particular buck. He was targeting it, and that was the only buck that he was going after. And he realized after using Deer Lab that the buck, which is called the Dan Kaufman buck, um, basically only moved during daylight hours with a full moon. And so he was like just racking his brain trying to figure out how to get to this buck. He was he was bedded down in a big bean field in the middle of the bean field and um, he just wouldn't move. And so using deer lab, he realized that this buck was only moving during a full moon 
And so the next full moon came about. He went out, and sure enough, he I think it was like a 15-yard shot that he had for him. So that was kind of our you know one testimony that stands out above everything else. It's the number two buck shot by bow in the world. If you guys want to find out more information about Deer Lab, visit DeerLab.com slash Nine Fingers, and that is a landing page that is set up specifically for Nine Finger Chronicles listeners. And while you're on that page, and only on this page is where where you will find this uh, great deal, is a 30-day free trial period. All you have to do is sign up. You don't need to put a credit card in or any type of uh, financial information, and uh, you'll be able to start entering in your trail camera photos, and that will allow you to gather a ton of information on the deer movement on the farms that you hunt. So uh, make sure you check out deerlab.com slash nine fingers. Now let's get into today's hunter profile public land hunter Justin Pez podcast. All right, on the phone with me now from Minnesota is Justin Pezzabazabazabaz. I'm sorry. Yeah, that's like. perfect. <laughs> All right, so before we started recording, you told me that everybody just calls you Justin Pez because nobody can pronounce your last name. Yeah, that's right. Okay, so how do you pronounce your last name? So it's it's Pajaski, but starts out P-E-Z, so... I always just tell everyone, just say Pez. So okay, everyone just calls me Pez. Okay, gotcha. Um, so, did teacher growing up? Did teachers have a rough time like calling roll call? Oh, like, absolutely. Substitute well, teachers. I mean, yeah and no, because I I come from central Wisconsin. It's a very Polish heavy uh, mm-hmm. area, so you know I was one of. 20 in the class with a name like that so <laughs> i think they after a while they just learned how to pronounce all these crazy last names right right or just go by a first name basis right that too yep yep okay well before we get started justin why don't you tell us uh where you live and uh what do you do for a living sure i'm uh currently living in the twin cities of minnesota a little suburb right outside of st paul uh, woodbury and I work from home as a credit mortgage underwriter for okay. a company out of Denver. So you get to work from home. Now, yeah. I talk with guys all the time about, you know, they took jobs specifically because they can work from home and or they're very flexible jobs. You know, they, they may take a pay cut because they want to hunt as much as humanly possible. Is this kind of the same thing for you? You know, it it was and it wasn't. That definitely played a role. Um, when I took this job, I had found out I was going to be a new dad. and oh, okay. The flexibility would be perfect for that. And also, obviously, hunting. Right. Um, right. I think that company I work for, they're great. They, they'll let me leave at, like, 2 whenever I want, September, as long as my stuff is done. You know, I still have to yeah. put in my 40 hours, but I made... I can do that at nine, 10 at night if I need to. Right. Right. Yeah. I got a situation like that where I work, where, um, I'm allowed to pick my daughter up from preschool on Mondays and Wednesdays, but then I just come home and work the rest of the day at home. So, uh, I, you know, kudos to the people who, you know, the, the employers who support hunters, right? Exactly. So you said that you are a new father. Um, how old is your, your kid? He just turned 11 months. He's, okay. he's a crazy little one. He's running around and nice. smacks his head off absolutely <laughs> everything he can. My son's head is gigantic. And it, <laughs> when he starts running, sometimes he'll get out of control and he'll start getting that, that big fat head of his will be leaning forward and he'll run oh, into like a, a door at full full blast and he'll shake it off and laugh. And I'm like, if I did that, I would be in a hospital for weeks. Yup, for sure. <laughs> I mean, my kid likes to put his head down and not look where he's going. And then all of a sudden there's a wall or a chair, right. you name it. Right. Right. So how was it for you? And, uh, I don't know. Are you married? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. How, how, 
was it for you and your wife with um, uh, not quite a toddler, but not quite a newborn uh, going into your first hunting season? You know, my wife is actually really good with it. She knows how passionate I am about hunting and I obviously didn't get to hunt, you know, I'd like to hunt every day of the week if I could, but, um, I worked it out and actually listening to your podcast and wired to hunt really kind of put a whole new perspective on it for me where I really try and hunt smarter, not harder. Gotcha. This was the first year where I actually researched moon phases and wind direct. Well, I mean, I always kind of paid attention to the weather, the wind, but really looked into it to make sure, okay, I've got this kind of wind tonight. I'd look like a week out and say, okay, um, honey, I'm going to try and go this day. Right. How's your schedule look? Can we fit that in? And, and it worked out this year. Good. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, I tell you what, let's, uh, let's go all the way back. And, uh, you mentioned that, uh, you, you know, you kind of grew up in, in central Wisconsin. Talk to me a little bit about what it was like to grow up in central Wisconsin, because when I think of Wisconsin, for some reason, more than any other state in the United States, I think heavy hunting tradition in Wisconsin. Um, can you talk to us a little bit about what it was like growing up in, uh, in Wisconsin as a hunter? Yeah, with my family, that's exactly what it was. I'm, my grandpa hunted. He's got, you know, countless deer over the years. And my dad always hunted, and he got me into bow hunting at a very young age. I remember finding his old recurve in the basement. Oh, nice. And I didn't realize it at the time, but the string, you put it on backwards so it doesn't stretch over time or the limbs don't warp on the recurve. And I was shooting it around the basement. And then he one day he flipped it around for me, and I was you know, four or five years old, and I couldn't even pull it back anymore. So I got a little <laughs> frustrated with that. But he bought me a bow like the day I could pull one back. I was probably five years old and then he bought me my first bow which was pretty hilarious he got it from a guy who i'm left-handed and this was before like anybody really thought about fitting a bow to a person um he bought me a bow i used one off of a buddy of his who was probably six four six five right just huge man huge wingspan and the bow probably had like a 32 33 34 inch draw my draw is like 26 and a half, 27 inches, I came to learn. <laughs> so I shot that with fingers and an open sight, and I made it work for, for years until I actually went to a bow shop. Yeah. And they're like, this is how you shoot a bow? <laughs> <laughs> you're you're, you're uh, playing with dynamite. Yeah, yeah, they set me straight. Yeah, for sure. All right, so in, uh, I don't know if you can hear that right now. But uh, doing podcasts with um, my kids can sometimes, you can probably hear my kids screaming right now. Yep, heard that. (laughs) Ah, shit. Anyway, anyway, um, (laughs) so Wisconsin, right? Um, Did you, were you, did you start off as a bow hunter or did you always go into, hang on one second. Yeah. Yeah. Get out of here, buddy. Sarah. I'm sorry about that, man. Yeah, no, that's fine. All right. So, um, it usually locked the door and, uh, I didn't that time. All right. So back, back to it. Um, so did you always start off as a bow hunter or did you, were you brought in via rifle first or, or shotgun? Yeah, actually I, I did. Uh, you have to be 12. I don't know if that's still the rule in Wisconsin, but back when I was young, you had to be 12 before you could actually sit and hunt by yourself. And so that opening day of bow season, when I was 12 years old was a great day for me, actually. I mean, well, the way we hunted was, you know, you just have a wooden stand we built up in a tree and you sit in that stand 
yep. every or every time you can until something eventually walks by. And back then it was legal to bait in Wisconsin, so we had the corn pile. And yep. that very first time I said, actually, an eight-pointer came in, I mean, probably 10, 12 inches wide, but I didn't care at that time. I yeah. shot it, and hilariously, I was walking out of the woods walked right up to it and got back to the car, waited for my dad to get back. And I was all cocky. Like, yeah, I shot a big buck, whatever. And he's like, yeah, I know. I saw it too. So he walked across <laughs> the two on his way out. Nice. Nice. Did, uh, so that was your first deer ever. How yeah. Old were first you? deer ever. First, I was 12 years old. Um, first time sitting in the stand by myself. I mean, Prior to that, I'd gone with my dad since I was, you know, three, four, five years old and right. never actually saw him kill a deer. Yeah. So. Okay. Which is crazy. Probably because I was four or five years old in the stand. <laughs> right. Just uh, probably making too much noise. Your dad's taking you and, and you're literally ruining, ruining his hunting. Oh, yeah. But he <laughs> loved it. Yeah. Right. Right. So when did you, when did you start Hunting with a bow. Uh, that year when I was 12. That year. Okay. So, yeah. Yep. So was that, was that your first deer with a bow or was that a gun when you were taught when we were? Nope. That was, that was, uh, opening day of bow season. Okay. I got you now. All right. I got yeah. you. Yep. So, opening day of bow season, which was, you know, I think it starts mid September in Wisconsin and was my first set out and went out with the bow and got an eight point buck. Gotcha. I think I actually went a couple seasons before I got something with the rifle. Okay. But, so when you, after you shot that buck and, and you walked up to it, can you remember what it was like when, you know, a 12 year old shooting his very first deer with, uh, with a bow? Oh yeah. I mean, I was terrified. Like I didn't know where I hit it or, I mean, it was all just a blur at the time. I was just hoping we found it and yeah. it was, it was crazy for me, you know, Yeah. back in the day, if it had horns, it was a trophy. Right. So any kind of buck was just awesome. And an eight pointer, they were, my dad was so happy. I was proud and I, I gloated forever about that. <laughs> so what was the, I, I take it you hunted that same farm, uh, is, it, is this a family farm? Is it a chunk of private ground, public ground that you have access to? Talk to me a little bit yeah, about the Yeah, it's actually my grandpa's 40 acres that he bought, um, I mean, a while back, which our family's hunted that for years and years. And it's just a little 40 that we all sit on. And I guess I haven't hunted it since I moved to Minnesota, but it's a nice little property. Right. Okay. So I, is it like egg? or livestock or all timber nope it's all woods all woods. All timber there's a couple small openings um i'm kind of excited for my dad because he finally got into the whole food plot thing and this year he's planning on throwing in like a, a half acre of corn and i actually bought him a bunch of fruit trees for christmas last year that he planted so oh nice it's yeah. it's transitioning it's it's a it's a mix of woods there's a bit of swampland and a couple small openings that we just put food plots in so are you guys taking active steps then to maybe transform that property into a better habitat for deer exactly exactly anything um anything else looking into that like um he actually works a lot of his job where he has to cut down a lot of trees, um, on road construction. Yeah. And he's thinking about doing hinge cutting. So okay. we haven't done any of that yet, but he's looking into it and it might be another something to just, you know, since it's a small 40 acre parcel, like just create more bedding on the property itself. Right. Right. That's a fact. So what's the, in central Wisconsin, as you were growing up, how was, how was the deer numbers? How was the quality of bucks uh, in in that on that farm as you were growing up bow hunting? You know, it's actually changed quite a bit over the years. I remember when I was really young, um, you'd see doe after doe after doe, and hunting you just 
gun hunting, for example, you'd go out there, you'd sit, you'd see 15, 15 does at a time run by and you'd either wait for maybe the one that had horns or you'd just pick out the biggest doe. Yeah. And then, uh, the DNR actually came through with the, the T zone hunting, it was called. And it was really to get the population in control. And I think they gave every hunter six tags for free. Oh boy. And oh yeah, when that happened, I don't think I saw deer for like two or three years after that. Oh really? And the oh yeah, it was bad for a while. The, it, it's like they tried to wipe out the deer population. Was that in the CWD zone? That was no, that was that was even before that. that no, was before it's, that. We're okay. still north of that. We've never really had a CWD hit there. Okay, I gotcha. <clears throat> but this was probably back in oh like the mid nineties they had this hunt. Okay. All right. But I mean, this is also central or, I mean, this is also Wisconsin where everybody's out there hunting. So, you know, there's, it's like a pumpkin patch on everywhere you go. Right. Right. One second, please. I'm going to talk to my sure. wife. Deer, I feel was, it was rough for a long time where I actually got really frustrated with hunting and almost wanted to quit. Cause you know, you'd sit, uh, countless countless hours and and never even see like a fawn or a yearling right and so the the population has recovered since then i feel like it's a much more healthy number now and you see a lot more mature bucks and i think that's got to do with you know better management and also everyone around the tract of land seems to manage their land better these days Gotcha. It's not so much a brown it's down mentality, but really like doe population population control and targeting mature bucks as opposed to if it has horns, you know, taking right. it. Right. So, you know, from the age of twelve until you know maybe the time you were in high school, uh, you were a bow hunter. Uh, did you? Did you still stick to that mentality of I'm going to sit in the same exact stand or did you ever try something different in that uh, from a strategy standpoint over the years um, before you ended up moving to Minnesota? You know, for the most part, when I hunted my land since we had, um, I don't know, five, six, seven different wood stands throughout, we'd hop in those separately but they were all pretty much predetermined um i started getting into the more of hopping around maybe a running gun set when i started hunting uh, my friend's land also in central wisconsin but he had incredible hunting land it was bordered a spruce a spruce uh swamp and then there was probably 40 to 60 acres of ag and then about 200 acres of hardwood. Yeah. And yeah, that was the first, that was the first time I ever actually encountered. I was probably 18 to 22 or so. I actually encountered a mature buck. Yeah. I had a, an 11 pointer that was probably about 125 inches, 130 inches walk right underneath my stand but I let it go because directly behind that was like a 150 inch eight pointer. Yeah. And deer. he made it. Yeah. Oh yeah. He was a big deer and he made it. You could tell he was a smart one. Yeah. The 11 pointer was probably a two and a half year old walked right underneath my stand. He came into about 30 yards, realized something was up and then just walked all their way. Never got a shot on him. Okay. So, what were some of the things as a bow hunter, you know, you started off as basically a kid bow hunting to, you know, and I want to talk while you're still in Wisconsin, because you kind of changed things up. You mentioned, which we will get to, um, when you moved to Minnesota and started hunting public land. But, um, what were some of the things from a bow hunting standpoint that you learned, uh, like trial and error or failures that you've had, um, over the, over the course of, you know, from 12 to 18, uh, that, that you learned or any aha moments or anything like that? Um, let's see. That's, that's a tough question. I mean, there's been 
you know, bow hunting. It's all about failures, basically. Yeah. Um, but one of the things, like, when I was young, nobody ever cared about scent. The, the deer's nose wasn't important. Yeah. That was one of the things I really learned about that, that changed the way I hunt, taking care of my clothes and scent control. Yeah. I mean, it's funny because you never know with deer. Sometimes I still think it's BS because I know, like, uh, my friend's grandpa, he sits and he smokes in the tree stand all day long, and every year he just gets a, a big buck. Yeah. And you never really know with that. But I take, I tend, that was probably the, one of the biggest things that I feel like has helped improve my bow hunting. Okay. So then you went to college, or did you go to college? Yeah. Where'd you go, uh, where'd you go went to school down at? to uh, Madison. I'm a badger. Okay. Uh, Matt, I'll tell you what, I've had some really fun times in Madison, Wisconsin. I'll, I'll just leave it at that. Yep. yep. <laughs> I can imagine. <laughs> right. So, so you went to college. Did, did you continue to hunt hard in college? I did actually. Um, I was one of the few ones that, you know, convinced my parents I needed my car in college. Yeah. And the reason for that was so I could drive back just about every weekend to go okay. bow hunting. Right. Um, so yeah, I did my partying during the week. <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah, man. I yeah. tell you what, I lost, I don't know why, but in college I didn't, I, I did some turkey hunting with my uncle, maybe some pheasant hunting, but I never really, you know, never really focused on the outdoor life. I was, I guess into other things, which sounds dumb, but, sure. uh, but I, 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 I was, I was probably the opposite of you back then. But, uh, so you continued to hunt in, in, uh, in college. Did, did you have any good success in, uh, in Wisconsin as far as harvesting, um, uh, a target buck or harvesting a mature deer or anything like that? You know, I've never really did. Um, I've shot, way more deer with my bow than rifle. Yeah. Um, but it's always been just smaller bucks, uh, lots of does. Um, it wasn't really until I moved to Minnesota and I guess I kind of grew up as a hunter really too. Okay. Came to the realization that waiting for a mature buck is, it's almost more fun that way, you know? Yeah. You mean, you mean instead of waiting for them, going and getting them? Exactly. Okay. Targeting them, going after those. All right. So you moved to Minnesota. Um, what what triggered that while you were in Minnesota, instead of sitting and waiting to to being active and going and finding the, the mature buck that you wanted to shoot? What triggered that? You know, actually, it, it probably does go back to the Wisconsin, though. When I started hunting my buddy's land okay. and seeing mature deer. Um, when I hunted my, my, my parents, my family's land, we rarely saw big mature deer and actually, you know what? I'm going to take all that back. I did in college shoot a nice buck with the bow at my family's farm. It was a probably about 125 inch eight pointer, three and a half, four year old. Okay. And then, yeah, but then when I started hunting my friend's farm, um, he, every year they would see something and probably harvest four bucks in the 140s to 150 inch range sometimes bigger yeah and then right around that time i realized like going after the mature deer was just it's it's so much more difficult it's so much more fun i mean the challenge is awesome so then shortly after doing that a couple seasons i moved to minnesota um for a job and I've been here ever since, but I don't actually have any private land that, you know, it's great land. I've been focusing on public land now, which is a huge challenge in itself, especially being in the twin cities where there's tons and tons of people. You've got to drive a little bit before you can find a hunter or, I mean, a, a tract of land where it's not covered with people. Right. So, you know, talk about that transition from hunting private ground to, like you said, before we started recording almost 100% private, 
public ground now. What was that transition like? Uh, it was it was an eye opener. It was it was difficult. Yeah. Um, going the the first time I hunted public land in Minnesota, the first season I was here, I just went to whatever was closest. Not ever having hunted public land, I just assumed you know, hey, this is you know. 30 minutes outside the cities, it'll be fine. And I think that first bow season here, I saw one deer. And every time I was out, I saw 10 people or so, you know, small game hunters, other hunters, people just walking their dogs. It was terrible. Yeah. So what did that, what did that do to you? I mean, did that get you thinking? Did that, uh, did, or did you? It did. It, it, okay. it really made me more determined as a hunter to find, cause I, I watch the hunting shows and I see a lot of people are just focused on public land and, oh, I can't remember the guy's name. He's from Wisconsin and he trap he, he's in the woods, you know, 270 days a year and he gets a mature buck every year on public land and he, he hunts the beds. He was on wired oh, to hunt. Dan, but, in, Dan Infault. Yes. Yeah. Infault. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And it was hearing stories like that, that inspired me. Like, I'm like, I can do this. So I started really researching and going on, you know, the Minnesota DNR page and seeing where there's different tracks of land, what's easily accessible, what's not, okay. um, Google mapping, endless hours on Google maps, yeah. figuring out where's a good access, where right. I could put possible stands and then scouting, I wish I could say I do better at that, but most of my scouting comes from a desk. Yeah. So, you know, that first year you were driving 30 minutes from your house, you thought, man, I'm going to be 30 minutes is far enough away. You know, you started running into a lot of people. Um, you hardly saw any deer that, that triggered something for you. Right. And you started doing your your research, you started, um, looking for new places to hunt. So how far, how many hours or, or minutes or whatever from your home did you start traveling that second year to, uh, hunt? You know, the second year I actually got lucky and was drawn in a lottery, okay. um, for a large, it's, I, I want to say it's about 3,500 acres. It's, uh, it used to be the university of Minnesota land. Yep. And they actually gave it to the DNR in order to build their uh, new college football stadium. Gotcha. That was part of the deal. But uh, now it's a lottery, and I think only like 60 tags of the 3,500 acres. There's only about 60 tags drawn each year. And, and then I got drawn for that. And that's kind of when I started to get serious. I Google mapped that property like crazy. I felt like I knew the ins and outs of it and where to go. It was a lot of egg, but that year I actually found a spot. Um, let's see. It was October 26th or 7th, I want to say. Right. And uh, had a buck come in directly at me, came and just tore up a tree for the longest time where it was getting dark, and I didn't think I was going to get a shot on it. Hold up Finally, a second. Hold up a second. Before sure. we before we talk about you know you killing that deer, you just got drawn. You, you know, was it just a, a one year lottery, or how many years did you put in for this? That was the first year. Okay, so you put in for a year. Um, you got drawn. Um, so when you got drawn, what what did you do after that? You you had never been on this property before. Did you just scout from your desk, or did you put boots on the ground and and start? figuring out what you needed to do before the season started? Um, so I actually put boots on the ground one time. I had the opportunity to go out there and scout it. Okay. And a lot of my other scouting was basically while hunting. Okay. And this, I guess, would be the first time I actually did running gun sets. I had a climber at that time, okay. which was terribly clunky, heavy, noisy, and it was just brutal to get in and out of the woods. So at first I really just hunted, you know, close to the road and areas next to cornfields that I thought were great. But 
then I'd go deeper and deeper in and eventually found a spot I liked. Um, but yeah, I did a lot of scouting on Google Maps that year and the one preseason. Like I said, um, most of my scouting was then done um, while I was actually hunting. Okay. So, you know, this being the first time in this, you know, it, limited hunting in there, right? Um, did you hear stories about the caliber of deer that were in there? Or did did you kind of ignore all that and just go in there thinking, you know, it's going to be like the, the, the previous year where you had a lot of other people. Um, I guess, you know, when I, when I think of something like this, I think I'm going to do, you know, let's see, I'm drawing, I'm putting in points for Wyoming. Right. And, uh, someday I'm going to draw, uh, to, to go on a hunt there. Um, and I'm going to have a lot of research to do on that, even even potentially taking a trip out there. Now, you drew this tag, and you said you've done, you know, most of your most of your scouting was done while you were hunting. When you first, I guess, let's just go right into that first hunt. When you when you went in there on that first hunt, was it just kind of an observation stand, or did you? Yeah, yep. It was definitely an observation stand. Um, pulled off the road in one of the parking spots and went in probably, um, I want to say just a few hundred yards and set up on a tree. That was actually the tree I had found in some of my pre-scouting that it was a lot of trail crossings there and you could see a decent amount. What time of year was that? That was all probably... I want to say opening day of both season, so mid-September. Okay. So were you hunting a field edge? Yeah. Okay. Yep, I found the tree before there, and, and, you know, I was still kind of in the mindset of how I hunted growing up, where you find a tree, you sit there, you go back to that tree, you go back to that tree, and over, you know, the four or five years I've lived, oh, geez, longer than that now. Yeah. But that I've done that, um, I realize, you know, it's really much more important to find numerous, numerous spots instead of hunting the same area. So So that year I picked out a couple spots. Okay. So when you sat up that first night, were the deer coming out close to you uh, at all? I mean, was this a buck only draw or could you, could you get a buck and a doe? A buck or a doe, yeah. A buck or actually, yeah, a buck and a doe and a doe. Okay, so, so you, you set up. Did you make several moves before you had an encounter with this mature buck? How long did it? How long did it take? What was the time of year? All that stuff. Kind of lead us through the timeline and and the steps that you took from that first hunt on that public, on that draw public piece of ground to when you actually harvested that buck? Sure. So, you know, I had gone and I I was on the ground once before the season scouting, picked out about three or four spots that I'd be thought were decent and access to these 3,500 acres. Isn't great. Um, you really have to, I mean, you can pretty much park on the exterior of it, and there's one road that goes a little ways into it. Right. But if you want to go into the middle, you've got to hike. And my first few sits were all parking on the side of the road and walking in a few hundred yards. And I learned from that, really. Like, um, by the time I, the one spot where I ended up shooting this buck, um, I really didn't want to sit there because it was a, a bitch to get to yeah and scouting you know it's not bad you're not carrying anything really but then when you've got to stand on your back bow and whatever equipment you're taking it like really it really discouraged me from going there but i finally put in the time and i'm like i'm just gonna go sit there and that's when it really paid off i mean i had this buck come in and so so what time of year? Up a tree and what time of year was that, that? was that was a I want to say October 26th or 27th. Okay. So how many times did you hunt that piece of property before you had an encounter with this buck? 
I would say in the month and a half before that, probably 10 times. Okay. So 10 times in this piece of, in this 3,400 acres, you narrowed it down to an area that you felt you would uh, run into some deer. You, you bounced around a, a couple times in there. And this tree that you ended up setting up on was something that you identified before the season even started, right? Yeah. Okay. All right. So you get it, you, you, you get in this, in this tree, it's October uh, 20th or whatnot. Walk us through from there. So I got into the tree and, um, a buddy of mine, actually, I should mention that he helped me with all the scouting. He had previously hunted this property and he's from Minnesota and had been in that drawing a few times. Um, so we had found that tree and I finally decided to hunt it one day. And right before dusk, this buck came in, it was actually very thick and difficult to see it. Um, it stopped about 30 yards from me and just tore up a tree for, I want to say 10, 15 minutes. And that's when your heart really gets going when you can see them for so long. Yeah. And eventually it walked out into an opening. I shot it and I didn't realize how big it was at the time. Um, when I shot it, I just knew it was a nice buck. And when we found it, it just had all kinds of junk on it. And it has, I want to say like a 16 inch split main beam on its left side and it was roughly 150 some inches, 13 pointer. It was awesome. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, so did you had an encounter with that deer? You, you didn't shoot him though, did you? No, that was, that was the first time I sat in that tree. I saw him and, um, put an arrow in him. Okay. Okay. I, all right. I understand now. All right. So, so that year was over then, right? For you? Yep. That okay. was that was my year. Okay. So did you draw any have you since then have you drawn that uh that tag any other times? I did um not this past year, but the year before. And was not overly as successful. There were rumors that there was a buck out there that uh, would challenge the state record, but I never, never saw anything like that. Um, the hunt has become more popular and it's difficult yeah. to draw. Like I think the first year out of the application, there was maybe be 160 and 60 got drawn this past year. I want to say there was like 2000 applicants, so it's still not overly difficult. It's not like a crazy bighorn sheep or anything, but right. Right. Yeah, two years ago when I got drawn, I hopped around through it and didn't really have any encounters with a mature deer, so okay. I ended up just taking a doe on the, the last day of the season. Gotcha. So, in between those draw hunts uh, on this piece of property, you are strictly a public land hunter on other parcels of ground, right? Yep. Okay. Yep. So, how do you go about finding the, what pieces of ground you want to hunt? Um, is, are you still doing your, your, your desk scouting? Um, does Minnesota have resources available to the hunters that allow them to, you know, look at some, some maps that identify those public ground, that public ground? Yeah. Yeah. Going through the Minnesota DNR, um, page, you're able to identify, um, what tracks of land are, um, they're called WM, WMAs. Okay. All right. So, now I want to kind of transition to this, this buck, this big 150 inch buck, uh, that you shot and, uh, it was shot on public land. So why don't you take me through the steps of how you found this ground, uh, and some of the steps on how you were able to, uh, you know, I guess harvest this buck. Sure. Um, like I said, it, was mostly desktop scouting. I did a lot of Google mapping. Um, I had found this tree before the season 
Um, never really wanted to hunt it because it was so far back and difficult to get to. Um, but you did do some kind of boots on the ground scouting. I did go out. Yeah. Yep. Okay. I did one time went out there and right. found this tree. How far was this place from your, your house? This was probably, uh, also about a 35, 40 minute drive. Okay. All right. So it's, it's close to the cities. It's just the fact that it's a limited hunt. Your odds are much better. And I don't even know if you can go in it. Um, I don't know if it's open to just the general public, to be honest. Okay. So but, went out there. I never actually ran into a, a different hunter, which was awesome. Gotcha. So it was, was this a small piece or a bigger piece? Or, you know, you just said that you didn't run into any hunters. Was it kind of uh, uh, under the radar, so to speak? Yeah, actually, it, it's it's a very small track that's off in a corner. Okay. And I think it really gets overlooked. Gotcha. Which I I honestly would have never even thought of looking there, but my buddy is like, let's go check it out. Right. It had a lot of good sign, a lot of deer trails. We found some beds. Okay. Um, Describe the, the terrain in the, the area. So there's a, a very large hill that you have to walk up and it's kind of like a plateau. You sit on top of the hill okay. and it's probably only about 10 or so acres. Gotcha. And it's, it's, it's really segregated from the rest of the 3,500 acre track. And I think it just, it gets overlooked because it's off in the corner and it's, it's difficult to get up, especially climbing that hill. It's, it's really steep actually. Okay. Um, so you, uh, you did some boots on the ground, you did some desktop scouting, you, you found some beds in there. Um, did you put a game plan together before the season started to, uh, you know, to start out and work your way in or based off your scouting, did you know exactly where you wanted to go when the time was to hunt? Um, well, my game plan was, I had set it up was basically work my way from the outside in. Yeah. And I did some of the more easier hunts earlier in the season because they were observation stands. Okay. Um, and I also, having never hunted this property before, didn't really know what to expect. I didn't know it was out there. Yeah. Um, they do let you put up trail cams, but they have to be taken down each night. And so I, I never ran any out there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Especially so when I most was, of the movement on deer movement is nocturnal anyway. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. So, so talk me through what, when did you, when did you start hunting this little area opening day? No, no, that was the one I really, I really put off. I, I hunted the outside tracks, um, initially because they were my observation stands and about a month and a half went by before I finally made it to this stand. Okay. And you seen the first time sign? I sat in it. Yeah. Yep. I had popped around a bit and saw a bunch of does, but a few small bucks, but never really a, a mature buck. And I think that, time i hadn't been back to that spot since the preseason scout yeah um i think if i remember correctly going back there there was a nice big rub on the way up to okay. the tree that i was sitting so what kind of access route did you have to take i mean because it sounds like it's a it's majority timber right um it's actually a bunch of the 3,500 acres, it's a lot of ag. Okay. And there's a few like 100 acre parcels of woods here and there. And then this, like I said, was just like a little small 10 acre piece of woods off to the side. Okay. So talk to us about the access routes that you took to get to this stand in the timber. And, you know, did you ever bump deer coming in and out of, of this property? of this area? Um, I 
don't think that I did. Um, the access routes are, there's a lot of horse trails that go through it actually. Yeah. And DNR roads. So most of my access was through there. I mean, I've definitely could have bumped deer, but I don't recall walking up on them at all. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, so was there a specific wind that you were waiting for, uh, to, to go hunt this, you know, this piece or, was it, hey, I'm going to go in and I'm going to set up regardless of what wind direction is. It may, the wind direction may change where I set up, but you're going to hunt this specific area. Yeah, it was. Um, I was looking for a, a north to northwest wind, which would blow um, my scent out down, basically down the hill behind me into uh, mostly like CRP. Okay. Um, or an old field that really I never saw much deer action in. Gotcha. So how much, uh, how much deer movement were you seeing in this, uh, this little 10 acres? That was actually the only deer I saw the, the one time I sat there. Really? So the access yep. into this, into this, it was just a one-time deal. You went into this tree yep. and you shot just like the other time that, that, that uh, 115 inch buck you shot, right? It was the first time in and you shot that buck and it was the first time in to that particular tree and you shot this big 150 inch. Yeah, exactly. It was the the first time I sat in that stand. Okay. So why don't you... That was actually a big learning experience for me, which kind of changed the way I hunt now, realizing, you know, a lot of times the first time you sit in a tree is the best time. Right. So, which now I try and hunt a different spot just about every time I go out. Okay. Um, I think that whole shooting that buck was an eye opener for me where I needed to really do more and search out properties where I have, I mean, again, it's all public land here that I'm hunting, but searching out, I think 10, 20 or more different stand sites throughout the season then I can hop from stand site to stand site. Gotcha. Gotcha. So walk us through, you know, walk us through from the moment that you first saw this buck. I mean, because this was the first buck, this was the first deer you, you had ever seen in this area. Right. And it was, and then you moved your way back in to this big tree and this buck shows up. Um, Talk to us about where this tree was located as far as terrain was concerned. And then talk to us about how this deer used that terrain to come by your, your stand and ultimately harvest him. You know, it's really kind of a, a weird setup. It's almost like a dome shape hill, but it's, it's, it's big for Minnesota. Like I want to say it's two, 300 feet straight up this hill. And I sat on top of it and there's a clear cut all the way across the top and then to the east and west is hardwoods. Right. So I sat on the edge of the clear cut, which is probably 30 yards wide. And he came up from the north directly at me up the hill um, along the edge of the clear cut. And then he tore up that tree for a while and then he crossed the clear cut which is where I finally got a shot heading towards the other side of the woods. Okay. So did he loop around you to try to get downwind of your position at all? Uh, no, I don't think he had any idea I was there. Gotcha. I had a really good wind that night where it was blowing from him to me and he had no clue. And like I said, I don't think anybody really goes back there. So so was this, was it harder to get back to this tree and that's why people kind of left it alone just because of access? Well, I think that in the fact that there are so many like hundred acre tracks in this 3,500 acres, you know, right. you can just, it, there's so much more opportunity. I think it just gets overlooked and ignored. Right. Right. So when you were, when you were hunting, uh, you know, you made this transition to public land. How was the, 
how was the uh god damn it i'm sorry i want to fuck uh, i'm having a rough day today okay hey that's all right uh buddy my dog's barking my kids are making noise all right bop 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 what did you what what did you learn you know over the years hunting public ground uh and it sounds like you're you're somewhat successful at this point what have you really learned what are some of the takeaways to to that you could maybe give to another public land hunter that has not been successful sure so i, I want to say my transition has been really going with the lightest like easiest setup gear i can find and now I use a lone wolf stand with their climbing sticks. And um, I just attach my bow and a backpack to that and strap the actual lone wolf strap around it. And I think they call it the Versa button, the part yeah. where you actually hang the, the bow to the tree. And I actually strap everything to my stand. And so now since I don't get drawn in that lottery every year, obviously I'm hunting some other tracks of public land that I walk in about two miles. Right. Um, before I actually set up. And so what I've learned is really just go in deep and look for the areas. Like you just want to look to where you can tell people aren't going right. Deer go where the people don't. So so how do you how do you know that? How do you know that there's no pressure back in these spots? Are you looking for boot tracks? Are you looking for uh, yeah other tree stands? What are you looking for? I mean, you you look for tree stands, anything you can find really evidence. Like I mean, even like if you'll find boot tracks, litter, yeah. obvious trails that aren't game trails, then I try and I'll, I'll just eliminate that and and look for a new area. Right. Okay. Um, so what about, what about next year? Right. I mean, this up, this next year, uh, 2017 season, um, what are you going to do to try to get better? Are you looking for specific bucks now? Are you going to be doing more glassing? Obviously you have a young child now, so that is going to probably throw, uh, some kind of wrench into the spokes of your life as far as hunting oh, is yeah. concerned. But uh, um, are you are you looking for bigger bucks? Are you going to start passing small deer? What What's your thought process as far as, uh, you know, knowing that you have, you know, you're, you're a public land hunter now? Sure. I mean, I think first and foremost, my ultimate goal each season is to get a deer. Um but now I really focus on, Hey, if I need the meat, just shoot a doe yeah. and let the small bucks pass even on public land. I mean, they may get shot cause it's public. Anybody has the right to hunt it and shoot whatever they want. I'm fine with that, but I'm no longer one of those guys who is just going to shoot it because it's, it's got horns. I'm really sitting back and waiting for uh, a mature buck. Yeah. And I think this next year I've found a couple of tracks over the year that um, like this last year, I had one of the best seasons on public land I've ever had. Uh, I found a state forest that's I don't know, roughly an hour from my house. And it's, it's a huge tract of land and it's, it's in a uh, bluff country. Right. And that, I love it because again, I don't know if it relates back to that lottery hunt where nobody wanted to climb that hill. Again, these bluffs, nobody wants to climb these bluffs and I rarely see anybody out there. So last season, if I didn't see three, four does, a sit and a few small bucks, it wasn't really a successful hunt for me. And um, so I'm going to try that area again. And last year was the first year I hunted that. So just getting to know it and know it better. So I think um, I'm excited for this next season to see what will happen. Awesome. Well, 
Justin, man, I, uh, I appreciate you coming on the podcast today and, uh, talking about your public land, uh, adventures and, uh, some tips and tricks and strategy and, uh, and, uh, good luck in 2017, man. Yeah, you too. Huge shout out to Justin for coming on the podcast and talking with us a little bit about his uh, public land adventures and some of the deer that he shot and uh, some of his strategy. Thank you very much to each and every person who has taken the time to download this podcast. Thank you very much. And uh, huge shout out to the partners of this podcast, Ripcord Arrow Rests. Exodus Outdoor Gear and their trail cameras. And if you want to save $20, uh, enter the code nine fingers when checking out uh, with Exodus and uh, Deer Lab. So, right there, you got three awesome companies who are supporting this uh, show. Financially, I couldn't do it without them. So, that's awesome. And uh, if you guys want to follow me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, that would be cool. Go to iTunes, leave a review, and uh, I apologize for the interruptions of the podcast and the background noise. Sometimes it just happens. And there's uh, when you got a daycare in the same house when you're trying to record a podcast, things like this just happen. So we won the Keep It Public movement. As of right now, we won a small battle, but the war will continue. There's a group of people that want to see it gone, and uh, guys like me and, and thousands and thousands and thousands of others will be there to fight uh, fight that, uh, that movement that is opposing ours. So uh, just remember, guys, if you want to enjoy those public lands, remember to keep it public. Keep it public.